If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's the seventh message in our series, series, Corinthians, Bible Truths for Today. There were three messages from Corinthians previous to the, uh, this uh, particular series beginning. The first part of this series began on August 10th with the message, uh, Meeting the Corinthians, Meeting Ourselves. Since that message, we've had a faith that will stand. Why still babies? The nature and purpose of the foundation. A biblical understanding of apostles and ministers. And last Wednesday, we had keeping the feast. And tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 6. And our main emphasis is going to be on this subject. And it will be tonight's title, Dominion and the Temple of God. Dominion in the temple of God. That's our main subject with it. Hey, and what we're going to do, we're going to read through the chapter together. I'll read aloud. I'll ask you to follow along in your Bibles as I'm reading, silently, not trying to read with me. And uh, I want you to notice when we go through verses 1 through 8, we'll concern ourselves with the exhortation on godly judgment and also avoiding of legal entanglements, specifically legal entanglements between Christian and Christian. Then verses 9-11 through 11 is a reminder of the Corinthians of how far they had come and from what they had been delivered. Great three verses there. Then from that point forward, our chapter will bring us into focus on the issue of dominion. It's the area where you have rightful authority. That's what dominion is. Dominion and the temple of God. It's, it's a great study, understanding it with that. And so we're going to... We're going to enjoy that. Let's pray together and then let's start into chapter 6. Father, thank You for the Word of God. I'm glad I have Your pure Word to give to Your people tonight. Lord, thank You for not abandoning us upon the rocks of man's philosophy. But we rather have a sure harbor of Your Word. Thank You for it. And help us to benefit from it that we may be beneficial to You. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Remember, he's speaking to the church, the people who are saved. Um, they're in Corinth, this Greek city. And it's a uh, church made up of Jewish people, but predominantly uh, people who would be Gentiles, a lot of them Greek people, but people who are non-Jewish. And so he's addressing this. Verse 2, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you... By the way, you're hearing the word saints. Those are saved people. Those who belong to Christ. If the world shall be judged by you... Now I'm not getting into tonight the time frame of when that happens. Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? So he's chiding them for them not being able to handle things between themselves. In other words not being able to take care of things without a lawyer getting involved. It was refreshing when we sold the property up here to Mr. Ackers. And Paul and I are supposed to get together again this week. We, um, he's an enjoyable fellow to deal with as far as business goes. And here we have a transaction. And I said, are you interested in this land? He said, I think I would be. He said, you find out a fair market value that you feel comfortable with and come back with it. We did that through discussion of its capacity to be developed or not be developed and those sort of things. Came back with a, a good number. Went up and I said, here's what we think's good. He says, all right. He says, if you don't mind, get stuff together. And uh, he says, I'll write you a check and we'll close on it. And I, and I said, well, uh, we can just close at our lawyer's office and 
and, and that sort of thing. And he said, that'd be fine. We shook hands on it. And he looked at me. Paul just turned 86. He, Paul said to me, he said, uh, my motto is keep the lawyers out as long as you can. <laughs> well, let me tell you, that meant a lot of money not lost to this church in that transaction, trust me. And so it was, it was good. So, okay, we'll do that. And, and, and that's good, but we had a contract drawn up and stuff. We weren't foolish in our business with it. But uh, he's saying to God's people, he's saying, uh, can't you take care of things among yourselves? Do we have to, do we have to be litigious in what we do and, and that sort of thing? And so he talks about that. Verse 4, And if, if ye then... Excuse me, look in verse 3 rather. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, so you need to reach an agreement or settlement on something, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. And then he says this, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? He says that old church, isn't there anybody? Get to this. No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. He said, don't you have anybody there who can figure things out? But brother goeth the law with brother and that before the unbelievers. You know how much damage has been done to unbelieving people because of factionalism, fighting within church, and they've had to hear it? I have personally known, thank God I wasn't part of it, I've personally known uh, at least two or three instances, I think at least three, where police had to be called in because of a fight in a church split. I know one in particular, police had to be called in during a business meeting because this side was fixing to kill this side in a church business meeting. Now, don't you know that was a great testimony? And, and, and how do you, you know, well, Brian, suppose some of the fellows on the force got called out here for something like that. How much talk would there be about that then? Well, yeah, we, we would be able to really do a lot of good after that, you know? Suppose they're sending out two or three squads just to, you know, because we're taking a vote on what carpet to buy. You know? There's just one contrary sister took them all out, too. So could be bad. Get them wound up, man. And so he says here, he says, he says, that's foolish. Verse 7, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He said, did you ever consider that way of doing it? Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. He said, you're taking advantage of each other. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And then look at this. I told you verses 1 through 8 deal with these exhortations of being aware of, of uh, legal entanglements and that sort of thing. And, and of course, other places in the Bible it teaches there is a time when someone can. Good law, civil law is put there for a reason. It's not telling you you've sinned if you've ever taken something to law, but I think you understand from what it teaches. That shouldn't be our go-to thing. And when it comes to a Christian brother or sister, we ought to be uh, willing to sometimes to say, okay, and let something go rather than enter into a mess with it. But then he shifts and then, or actually continues on with this thought of how we ought to be and where we came from. And I told you these verses then deal with the Corinthians and he's reminding them by the Spirit of God from where they came and from what they've been delivered. Now pay careful attention to this and look at the list that's given because what he's talking about here, these are real people in a real church and this is where they came from and now they're God's church, God's people and God's wanting to work with them. And, and I just there's a great encouragement in this. He says, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Be not deceived, neither fornicators, which is a huge, huge problem in Corinth as it is in Lancaster. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, which is a man taking on womanly characteristics, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's a far-reaching problem. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And here's what he writes, and the Spirit of God has him write to that congregation. And such were some of you. Not everybody in there, but some of those folks in that church at Corinth were like that. And such were some of you. Huh. But, that's a great thing to have right there, isn't it? But, ye are, he said, you were, past tense, but you are, present tense, ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He said, this is what you were. Some of you were this. But that's not what you are anymore. And your conscience may remind you and your memory may remind you. See, and let me help our younger folks here with something. And it'll help us who are not younger folks anymore. And by the huge black balloon, I think I'm in that category. Um, but... Let me help you younger folks with something. If you, you would hear a bit of wisdom at a young age. What you put into your mind, you probably will not be able to get back out. And you want to make sure that you're not putting things in that are going to be haunting you someday if you want to live right and clean and decent. Then he says in verse 12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Expedient means for good or for profit. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And we'll come back to that. That's where we begin dealing with the dominion issue. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by His own power. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Look at verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body, your body, save people, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, because you've been bought with that price, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You look at verses 9 through 11 uh, and this thing of the deliverance. I want you to notice there's a threefold deliverance from what they used to be. Look in verse 11. 
Notice the three words that are used. You might want to mark them in your Bible. In verse 11, it says, And such were some of you. Going back through this whole list of all these things that, that were done and the sins happened. Such were some of you. What's your condition now? Now you are what? Washed. You might want to mark that word washed. I put down beside that purity. He said you had been filthy in many areas, but now you have purity through Christ. Listen to the statement. It's well thought through and it's very accurate biblically. There, in many people's lives, most people's lives, they get to a point in life, they cannot be innocent again. I love seeing the innocence of real small children, that sort of thing. That innocence. And by the way, one of the great dangers of our time is they're losing that early. As a parent, you need to be a guardian on that. You need to be a guardian on that. When you hand your child one of these, it's gone. I don't apologize for that statement at all. It's gone or soon will be. So you think you're going to get it? That they know too much too soon. Let children be children. Let children be children. And uh, innocence you cannot regain. And I cannot regain. But purity we can have. I can't be innocent. There, there are memories. There are things. There are experiences in life. They're there. And they're going to be there as long as I'm housed in this Oh, heavy clay. One day I'll be free of them. No wonder it's a new heaven and a new earth. Imagine all that gone. You ever hear the saying that's popular, getting rid of all that baggage? <laughs> Can you imagine getting rid of the baggage, which is the bad part of us? That's going to be awesome. Huh. But I can be clean. Pure. I mean clean. I mean, it's, it, it's not, I feel better about it, clean. Not, I found some way to deal with the guilt. I mean, clean. <laughs> You're washed. That's one of them. Then look at the next thing it says there. It says, but you are washed. You were like this, but now you're washed. You're clean now. But you are sanctified. That's peculiarity. You like that? Peculiarity. Do you know the Bible says that God has called us to be a peculiar people? Wouldn't you agree some people are better advanced at that than others? <laughs> And he does not mean by it, you know, we're supposed to be weirdos and strange like that, but we're supposed to be peculiar. We're supposed to be different. And the way it shows up is we operate, if you will, on a different economy. And I'm not talking about just finances with this. I'm talking about the value system. And whereas the world is propelled largely and mostly by the energy of lust, and we tend to be extremely narrow in our application of that word, of strong appetite, strong desires. You're broadening your thoughts out on that to catch what I'm saying. While the world mostly moves on that energy, and it's evidence in the Scripture that all that is in the world, and two of those are lust. God's economy operates on love. Lust is consumer. What can I get out of it? What mutual thing you do for me, I'll do for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But that's, that's lust drive. Love says, what can I do for you regardless of whether or not it comes back this way? God spends a lifetime 
in a yearly Christian's life. He spends a lifetime perfecting that in us, but I don't believe it's ever completely perfected until we see Him. And it certainly was perfected in Jesus Christ and everything He did. And so, what is this thing of being peculiar people? Different about the way we do things. Going about it. It was funny, this week I was, <laughs> I was at lunch and, and uh, a young lady who was uh, serving us, she had uh, uh, she said something, I can't remember what it was, and I, I said something back, wasn't really a joke or anything, but it was, I forget, it was kind of a little bit of a playoff of words. I didn't really understand exactly how she was saying something. And she looked at me, and she'd been here to church before and, and dealt with her lot, sat and talked with her about the gospel. And I uh, came home and told my wife about it, and she, she told me, she said, she's, she said, she's intelligent. I said, she is, but then she just stopped looking at me, and she's, here's what she said to me. This is yesterday. She said, uh, she said Pastor... She said, you're a peculiar man. And I said, well, I said, now, that can have a lot of different implications. And I called her name. I said, but I don't mind it. I said, it's, I said, it's unusual for somebody to use that word. I said, so what do you mean by peculiarity? And she said, well, you just, your thinking's intricate. You come up with some different things. And, and I said, oh, that's a good use. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, you know what the Bible says about that word peculiar? And she stopped going. She was doing it. She looked. She had several She said, what is that? And I said, the Bible says the followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to be peculiar people. And I told her this way. I said, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be like, you know, weirdos. I said, peculiar people, we're supposed to do things and come at things differently because Christ is our Savior. And she said, well, that's really neat. And what happens is you're sanctified. You're set apart. You're set apart. You're no longer part of a world that's headed for destruction. You're set apart unto God. You're set apart for His, His design and His life. So you're washed. And then you're sanctified. And then look at the last thing here. You have the purity and you have the peculiarity. And then look also, if you will, it says you're washed in verse 11. You're sanctified. He said you were all these other things, but you're justified. And that has to do with position. I'm just as if I've never sinned. I'm accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so based on that, then, we start looking at the rest of the message and start dealing with this thing about dominion. What does that mean in our lives? What is the practical living of this? How does this, how does this affect our day-by-day living? It's great truth that we're no longer what we were by the grace of God. And uh, what does it mean? How does it come out in our lives? Um, look at verse 12 and 13. And we'll deal with this thing about dominion and the practical outworking and how we yield ourselves to the Lord. Look in verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Uh, not, not everything makes sense to do. Not everything is, is useful to me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under, look at the phrase, under the power of any. That has to do with dominion. Luke's here on the, on the second row. I'm going to pick that name really tonight. But uh, Luke, Luke doesn't come ask me what time to be home. He's all rode up. And uh, got his wife. He has his own house. He's, he's taking care of his own business for a while. I start recognizing that. This would be a good thing if you take note of it. It might be helpful to you. I started recognizing that while he was still within our house, he, he paid and, and uh, some rent to be there. Now he knows to feed himself. He didn't pay his whole key. He knows that now. He's uh, like, Dad, how'd you all ever feed me? I was like, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> But 
I, and, and this is important. I hope you'll catch it. It's not the message. It's important. I started recognizing as he as he developed and showed more and more, he was he was taking out responsibility of young manhood. I started treating him like a young man, a little kid. I think I wrote treating like a little kid. That's not that's what I did. Teaching appropriate for the age. Fine. Some of y'all need to know that. These boys coming up in our church, we raise them to be men. Not all of a sudden, 19, 20 years old. Hey, you don't know how many this is because mommy's made them all. Amen, preacher. Preach that. Amen. If nobody, you ain't got to marry son in your life, life love you enough to tell you, I will. It, you got you to recognize And By the way, you young fellow said, that's right. You know, you're six years old. That's right. <laughs> preacher says, <laughs> that's right, little woman. I'm a man here. About 12 years, I'll shave. <laughs> <laughs> Preacher, how do I know when I really start becoming a young, young man? When can you start taking out responsibility? When do you have some little job to do at your house and you don't have to be reminded of it every day? You won't be treated like a little boy when they don't be one. I'm not trying to get you little fellows to be 20 years old, right? Enjoy where you are, trust me. Yeah? Did you buy those clothes you're wearing? No. Did you buy the food you ate today? No. Do you pay for the house you're living in? Yeah. Son, you got it good. Don't mess it up. Whatever you got going, all right? <laughs> Enjoy it, brother. You got it. You got it good. You got a good thing going right there. So keep that going. But the issue of this is that it's an idea of dominion. It's an idea of what we, we are, what is rightfully over us. Now, here's the bad thing about it, or the things for which we should be cautious. We can, by certain actions and decisions, put ourselves under the dominion of something that really doesn't have a rightful authority over us. For instance, there is no person in this world that booze has rightful dominion over their life. Nobody. There is nobody that moves has rightful dominion over their life. There is nobody in God's creation that's life is rightfully controlled by booze. But all of us know there are a lot of people whose lives are controlled by booze. They mess up the relationships. They can't hold down jobs. They lose, lose uh, material goods that they have. Their health gets destroyed by it. And it has authority over them. They, they can't go without it. They, they, they think about it. it. It makes their decisions, all their decision making. You say, well, what's happened with that? How did they get under? They're under that dominion. It's, it's controlling them. How did they get there? Here's the thing about it. They took what they thought was their freedom or what could have been their freedom and they made choices that put them under the wrong dominion. Now, to understand this and, and show you this, look in uh, Romans chapter 6. We'll be back in 1 Corinthians in just a few moments. Romans chapter 6 explains it thoroughly, and I'm going to read some verses here without a lot of comment with them, but I want you to see it. We're talking about dominion now. 
And remember Paul said by the Spirit of God there in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, I will not be brought under the power of any. There are certain things in life that are not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter you don't want to be brought under the power where you lose your freedom to be used by the Lord. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I don't have time to put the stage for all this that happened in the previous chapter, but just take that question. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He said that doesn't make sense. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Your reference on that, if you want to write it up to sell your Bible or something, is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. We are baptized by one Spirit into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, now watch what happens with this, we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We died to something, and now we're alive to something. It's called the resurrection power in your life. Verse 5, For if we have been, look at the word that's used, planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His what, church? Resurrection. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15 is where you can study about that, especially verses 34 through 39. And he's talking in there, talks about planted one way and raised another way. Knowing this, that our old man, referring to our lost man, the, the, the fleshly living, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That's what that crucifixion was about. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that from henceforth, you know what the word henceforth means, don't you? This point forward, which is all you and I can deal with. Whatever regrets we may have, whatever we would have liked to have done differently up to this point, we cannot do anything about that. It's not just words. You cannot go back and do it. And it is an utter waste of life to waste your time now wanting to go back. The only thing that's wisdom, if you look at it just long enough to learn from it, how you should go forward. And beyond that, everything else is waste. And it says from henceforth, I have right now... And going forward, that's the only way. It says we, that from henceforth, look at it, we should not serve sin. It says, uh, I lost my place there. Do, 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 do. Help me, where am I? Where? Thank you. Um, right, from henceforth, we should not serve sin. I lost my place. I knew what I said, but I couldn't find the place. We should not serve sin. In other words, put ourselves under its dominion. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. We've believed on Christ. We've accepted what He did for us on the cross as our payment of sin that has something attached with it. It's called the resurrection. It's a wonderful thing. It's not just that our sin is destroyed. It's not just that our guilt's gone. It's not just that the wrath of God's been, been, been taken off of us. Thank God for that. But also there's something wonderful given to us. It's called the resurrection power. And life has come because of that. And so it says, then, uh, then if we're dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Something really weird going on over in Dayton. My sister called me dying laughing. Pardon, you'll see why that's a pun in a moment. I didn't mean to do that. She said, I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't hear it. She said, I heard it again on the news radio. 
And she's heard it three times now. Several uh, funeral homes, crematoriums, and, uh, and, and uh, um, what do you call them? Grave, graveyard cemeteries have gotten together and they're having, not a joke, the first annual Before You Die Festival. And they said people are afraid of dying and it shouldn't be that way. So these different funeral homes and stuff are getting together in Dayton. I don't know the date. I'll have to let you know. And they're having fun and games for the kids and activities. And get this, they're doing field trips in local cemeteries. You can have hot dogs, pizza, and plan your burial all at the same time. It's not a joke as dumb as it is. And you know, the, I started coming up with things. I said, games. You could play Name That Tomb. <laughs> um, I could say, there's a lot of things you can do with that. My sister says, I, she goes, I'm almost beyond tempted, beyond my ability to be tempted to go. And I said, what are you talking about, sis? She goes, I just want to see what kind of people will show up. Something like this. And I'm like, well, there you are. So there you go. If you're looking for something in a kind of a fall activity, that's what go on. Well, thank God that that's not anything that makes sense. I, <laughs> you know, you don't want to know what I think if they're pushing cremation. I had all kinds of wild thoughts with that one. I wouldn't even go into it. Um, then verse, it says, from henceforth, verse 6, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 8, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth, how much? No more. If we died with Him, we also raised with Him, and He dies no more. Huh. Why? Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin, how many times? Once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Verse 11 starts with the word likewise. You and I are supposed to learn something from that. Likewise reckon. You take an accounting. You value it. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Two words that begin verse 12 are vital. Your decision-making process is involved in it. Let not. You're going to have to close the door on something. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You say, it, what's the antecedent? Mortal bodies are sin. The answer is yes. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't do that. Then look at the wording in the next, chapter, uh, next verse. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Give you a real practical what that's talking about. There's nothing major or mystical about this. Your tongue is a member of your body. My preacher preached a sermon one time I remember when I was a teenager called our meanest member. People showed up thinking he was going to name names. But he preached about the tongue. The book of James and that. Your tongue is a member of your body. It's hard to explain the tongue by point that um, Your tongue, your capacity to speak, and I know you're going to say everything's involved in it, but your tongue can be used to say curse words. 
Every person, unfortunately, every person in this room could use their mouth, their tongue, to frame words that are vulgar, and filthy, and even blasphemous towards God. If you choose to do that, you are using an instrument, your instrument, part of you, to work unrighteousness. That same tongue, that same mouth, can be used to honor and glorify God. And you have the choice of what you're going to do. And since we owe nothing to sin, because the wages of sin is death, since we owe nothing to the flesh, then why would we submit our instruments as servants to what's wrong? With your eyes the same way? With your hands? You can use a hand to strengthen someone, do a good work, do a good deed, slip somebody who needs something, a little bit of money to help them. And you could use that same hand to go into a store in this town and steal something. And they might put a fancy name called shoplifting, but you're nothing but a common petty thief is all you are. And uh, no fancy to it. And by the way, it's not because you're anxiety, it's because you're covetous and you're stinking thief. It's not because you're under so much pressure, it's because you're a stinking thief. By the way, I haven't had any reports or anything, so if I'm nailing you on the head, it's because you're a stinking thief and the Holy Spirit wants you to know it. And so what happens is, this, this thing of your hand, you can use your hands to do good or you can use your hands to do something evil. You can use your ears to listen for needs. To listen to the good things of God. Or you can let your ears be used like a dumpster for somebody's garbage or the gossip and everything else. Your instruments. Look at the phrasing again with this. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Why? For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? That seems to be the common doctrine of the day. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. <laughs> sin still kills Christian people. Now, your soul is saved, but you can, you can flat, your, your mortal life can be destroyed and taken because of it. Better get it down and understand it. Verse 17, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and to holiness. It's amazing sometimes when people give their life and energy to party down, do whatever they've been doing. If they don't think anything about it, they'll stay up half the weekend to do it. They'll give all their money to do it. And they get saved and they won't turn a lick for God. They won't support a missionary. They won't help around the church house. They won't witness somebody. They won't take that same energy that they used to use in the devil's service and use it for God. That's always a shame. I'm always grateful when people realize how good God's been and decide to do something with their life. Amen. 
Hey, God deserves better than any sports team. God deserves better than any hobby. God deserves any better than anything else. He deserves our best in our heart, our spirit, our life, our service, and everything we do. Look what happens with it. Verse 20, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, keeps talking about that, and become servants to God, you have real fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin, what's it pay? Death. But the gift, you receive by asking, you can't pay for it. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it deals with these things and, and, and teaches us in this this idea of dominion. And then it goes down and it deals with the fact that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost that we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. And in Luke 11, verse 40, Luke 11, verse 40, Jesus recorded, or these words are recorded from Jesus. He was rebuking those who thought they could be clean by making themselves clean on the outside by remaining dirty on the inside. And here's a statement Jesus said. He said, You fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? God's temple is God's dwelling. That's our, 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 us, our bodies. And He wants His house to be clean and appropriate both inside and out. I end and give you one illustration. And it has to do with this thing of instruments back in Romans chapter 5. I read to you again the verse. It says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Well, I'll illustrate something with you here. And this is where we're going to involve you in this in just a moment, all right? Catching you off guard, but that's all right. A little change of plan. We're going to pretend like this is my piano. It's church's piano, all right? So whose piano are we playing like it is? It's my piano, right? It's got to be mine. I have the key to it. Um, so this is my piano, all right? And so this piano, if this is my instrument, this is my instrument, and I can play it. I know where I can play the Say, well, it's mine, and I'll just do what I can with it. You know, I play with it, and 
I go up there. That's a great lead-in, but I can't go anywhere with it. Um, but suppose I really want something where it can be a blessing to the congregation and a help. And so I go to somebody else, and in this case it would be Mrs. Webb, and I'll say, uh, Mrs. Webb, got my piano up here, and I'd like to be a blessing to all these people tonight, and rather than just some strange humor, I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. Uh, could you just come up and give us a verse of whatever comes to your mind, Christian, preferably. Uh, <laughs> I guess kids, I don't care if it's repeated in the offertory or what, but what if I yield my instrument to somebody who is way beyond where I am with it? And by the way, just a good illustration of the Holy Spirit, she's going to do it by the book. <laughs> Remember that thing I told you you can know a thousand songs and when you get put on the spot they all go away? This is it in action. She can thank me later. Pick one. Is that 109? Great is thy faithfulness. How many of you know that song? Very well. Grab your songbook. We're going to do is we're going to sing one verse of that together. Now, wait a minute. You knew that song. You don't need to stand. Thank you, Linda. I appreciate you just volunteered for a solo. Um, <laughs> for there's a willing spirit, uh, you will be harassed. Did you want to be harassed? I want to say you're like a shepherd leader. What is it? 441. Going once, going twice. Do I hear 442? 441. 441. Now, I could have wanted to bless you with the song, but I needed help with that. I know the song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness. I know what it's supposed to sound like. But if that's going to actually get out like it should and be a blessing, I'm going to have to take my instrument and yield it to somebody who can actually take it to what it's supposed to do. So page 441, let's sing the first verse of that together. <laughs>
Christian life starts growing and developing when we are willing to yield this instrument to the one who can play it far better than we can. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your words, for the truth of your Bible. May there be bodies presented as living sacrifice to you tonight. Use us, Lord, that there may be a fullness harmony and a symphony from our lives that there wouldn't have been otherwise. We are not satisfied to dwell in barrenness. God, we pray that you use us. Bless your people. May they have a heart to be used of you. Amen. Let's stand together. Why don't you come tonight? Why don't you bring your instrument and yield it to God? Make it a holy thing, a sacred thing.